Hi, and welcome to the Programmatic Digest podcast, your weekly roundups on top programmatic and digital news, plus expert interview. I'm your host, Ellen Parker, your very own Programmatic Sensei. As a friendly reminder, you can find everything we've discussed today, information about our amazing expert, show notes, and all referred articles on our website, programmaticdigest.com. And now, let's get this party started. Our first story is in diversity and creative from an Ad Age article. So PNG's film, The Talk, was a film portraying African-American mothers having heart-to-heart with their kids about just the dangers of racism and how to protect them when they're out in these streets or in this world. But there was still one thing missing from the film. And Saturday morning, Jeff Edwards said, start quote, I applaud the courage it would take to take on a conversation like The Talk. But part of the problem we have in this country is the fact that the African-American male has been removed from the family unit, end quote. And then came the look, PNG's latest brand film to promote its diversity initiative or to continue promoting its diversity initiative. And so this unnerving short film illustrates the unconscious bias that plagues a young African-American male in his daily life. And so during the video, it's a really cool video, you see him taking his son to school, um, you see him stepping into a restaurant, even shopping in a, in a store where people's suspicious glares and gestures betray their wariness of his presence. And so the spots ends with him, the man, stepping into a court, courtroom to take his seat as a judge. Strongly recommend you to go ahead and watch both the talk and the look. Let me know what you think because it's a very interesting perspective but but a lot of us can relate to that and so for PNGs to really put that in an ad is very very powerful. This is probably a good way to start this podcast and highlight the diversity that we are seeing in some of our creatives. Our next story is in data specifically browser ad tracking. So it's an article from Ad Exchanger I came across. It's called Firefox is running a test to ensure that killing third-party cookies doesn't also kill its own revenue. So Firefox is starting to block third-party tracking by default and they only have been testing this on fewer than 5% of its base of clients and customers just to determine first how disabling cookies through enhanced tracking protection, ETP, will affect their overall budget. In 2017, Mozilla Corp generated $542 million from mix of royalties, subscriptions, and advertising revenue, specifically a percentage of that ad revenue is coming from anytime someone uses their built-in search engine provided. Super interesting article. I mean, Apple and Safari did it about a year ago when they really honed in and got very strict about how they were going to release any browser's data if they're still releasing any. I'm pretty sure they got rid of that. The bottom line is that browsers are becoming a little bit more conscious about how they're selling this data and they might be paying attention to the consumers. Not sure if that's going to affect us that much as an advertiser or in any programmatic campaign out there. I mean, it's it's only pushing us to becoming, again, more niche, more relevant in the way we're targeting 
overlaying some of that third-party data, making sure that we're utilizing a client or a campaign's first-party data, also utilizing geolocation data, mobile data. Um, in addition to that, contextual, there's still a lot of way for us to <laughs> track our targeted audiences or our relevant audience. So really curious about what you think about Firefox attempt to get rid of third-party tracking. As mentioned, I don't professionally think it will affect the data we're tracking today that much. <laughs> Our next story is in uh, mobile from Marketing Land. Ninth Decimal introduces multi-touch attribution for online store visits. So Ninth Decimal is rolling out their first multi-touch attribution, MTA solution for foot traffic measurement. That MTA measurement would be looking, will be looking at different consumer touch points and their impact on offline store visitation. So we both know that our industry <laughs> operates on first or last touch attribution methodology. It is what the rest of the industry is working on, especially with Google. We're using some of Google's products. And a multi-touch attribution model, model is actually more complex to set up and implement in your campaign or in your, in your measurement uh, because it's based on abstract formulas that may or may not reflect actual consumer behaviors. The idea here is to have the combination of MTA and store visitation data potentially solving some of those challenges for brands, retailers, and others who ultimately care most about mapping and optimizing media against real-world business outcome. And that was pulled from why we should care about this. In addition to being able to really report across multi-touch multi attribution, it's so important to look beyond first and last touch. I mean, both are really important, of course, but being able to understand how often somebody is viewing your ad, how they engage, where they engage can actually help us take a fractional approach like the article is mentioning because it now not only give credits to first and last, it gives credit to very important touch points between first and last. It just helps us optimize better, making sure that that inventory is still relevant or not cutting that inventory if it happens to have a higher cost. Conversions yet, but it's also going to allow us to use that data to make better creative, uh, make smarter, more relevant targeting. If we want to layer some contextual, we're really able to see if somebody, it's one of the fourth, fifth, sixth touches, we will be intelligently able to add contextually news or even go direct with some of those publications. So this is really cool. Our next story is in social. Bacardi's new ad is pretty cool. Just wanted to quickly mention it here because Past the Beat is a campaign that features a sexy Latin beat single called Make It Hot. So part of the songs gets performed in a commercial and the longer version is on YouTube video performed by Brazilian pop star Anita and the electronic dance music band Major Lazer. Y'all go check it out. It's actually a really, really cool ad. <laughs> and it's a really, really cool uh, commercial. Our next story is an ad week. Two years of planning went into the introduction of a refresh brand for LinkedIn, highlighted by changes to its logo, typography, colors, and shape. Our next story is from Media Post. California considering amending new privacy law. Lawmakers in California Sen Senate Judiciary Committee are expected Tuesday to consider amendments to the state's new privacy law 
including several that could significantly water down, significantly water down the measure. So the article mentioned how the law slated to, t to take effect next year, allowing consumers to learn what personal information has been collected about them by companies and have that information deleted or preventing the sale of the data. Head over to MediaPost to read a little bit more about California's considerations. In our next segment, Ashley Stevenson joins us in the Sensei's Corner to discuss a couple of MediaPost's articles on Facebook. A little bit more about our amazing expert. Ashley Stevenson, soon to be Prevet, is a paid social advertising expert originally from Raleigh, North Carolina, with a focus in serving e-commerce clients. Ashley has helped startups to household names in a variety of industries, including numerous fashion brands. She has worked in the digital marketing agencies and with publicly traded brands in fine jewelry and exterior building products. Personally, Ashley is still an avid Facebook user and loves Instagram as well. As mentioned, she is going to be Mrs. Privet sometime in December 2019. You can find Ashley Stevenson on LinkedIn and remember, we'll have it on our show notes. And now, enjoy the interview. All right. Well, Ashley Stevenson, thank you so much for joining us today on the Programmatic Digest podcast. We're excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you as well. Yes. So we'll cover a couple topics today on Facebook and the negative part of Facebook being in the media. And then uh, we'll cover some fun part as we are entering the back to school shopping and maybe holidays. I understand that you have a couple of feedbacks there with best and bad practices when it comes to implementing shopping strategy in Facebook. And so we'll get right into it with our story number one. Coming from the media post, uh, Facebook can't shake lawsuit over data breach. So just to recap this article really quickly for our listeners, 14 million users' data were obtained by hackers last year when a security glitch was uncovered by Facebook employees. Um, quoting here uh, from Facebook who wrote in court papers filed in March, start quote, while the complaint speculates about various potential harms that might arise from the attack, ranging from the identity theft to lost value of information, plaintiffs do not allege that they actually suffered any of the, those injuries. And again, end quote, this is from Facebook, uh, from their court papers that were filed in March from this lawsuit. So... Ashley, if we really look at this type of articles, it seems the author of the, the articles were basically, was basically just referring to Facebook and just explaining how some consumers' data has been breached out there. This, the first time was mm -hmm. with Cambridge, Cambridge Analytica, and now it's with, um, you know, it's just hackers. And so uh, let's talk about how this is going to affect us. Uh, do you have any thoughts here as, as, as a consumer and as a marketer? Well, sure. Um, if we look at it, you know, as a consumer and, and the article kind of touches on this a little bit, you know, there is a lot of information that people are willingly giving on their Facebook profiles or in other, you know, social platforms, mm -hmm. you know, they're giving their name, their birthday, even their, you know, political affiliation. And so, while this is absolutely horrible that there was a data breach and, you know, I do think that Facebook needs to take, um, 
you know, better measures to prevent this from happening again, <laughs> we do have to kind of keep in mind, you know, <laughs> as consumers, what we are actually putting out there for, you know, Facebook and other, um, you know, uh, tools like Google to use and to market us with. Um, right. And, you know, it's actually funny uh, that we're talking about this because I remember sitting on a plane back in 2016 with a guy who worked um, for a government entity and he predicted that this was going to happen. He knew wow. that, um, it, he, yeah, he basically said that he knew Facebook's privacy standards weren't, you know, really up to par with what they should be and that something like this was going to happen. And it was basically just a matter of time. So, um, it, it's, um, disappointing that, you know, that it happened, but, uh, you know, as I'm sure we'll see, you know, with all the, court proceedings, you know, what the true effect this will have on us as marketers. However, I can say, you know, just in the day-to-day -day of, you know, advertising in Facebook, there are certain measures that they've already taken in terms of um, if you're uploading an audience into Facebook, you have to, you know, let let them know, is it first-party or third-party data? Um, Facebook has also created what's called now the ads library. And if you're in yeah. um, the political or social space, it will actually save all of the ads that you've ever published back seven years. Um, so really, you know, trying to like up their transparency, um, which I think is great, you know, for, um, for, for a consumer. However, on the flip side, if you're an advertiser or a competitor, you can really see everything that your competitors are doing and vice versa. So um, it is certainly interesting <laughs> to say the least. That's a great point because I think the next article we'll cover here shortly is about the new feature that they came out with, the transparency update. Um, but going mm -hmm. back to as a consumer, I think I, I agree with you. Facebook needs to stay accountable a little bit more. But throughout the article, and I think I just heard that um, on another, I just read it in an ar another article and I'll make sure to to link it here as well in our show notes. But what basically what Mark Zuckerberg was saying is that there's only so much Facebook can protect in terms of the consumer's information and that the government needs to step in, especially in terms of political and the political realm. And, and basically Mark was saying that, you know, like for the whole Russian thing, when they, they were able to come in, like the government knew about it, but didn't do as much as it should have. And now they're expecting uh, Facebook to just pick up the slack. So Facebook just is only be with mm -hmm. that. And so it's, it's interesting how everybody's just pointing fingers. And as consumers, we're probably like, yeah, you need to protect my information, but <laughs> is it as easy regardless if you are a technology or you're in the ad tech world, protecting that information, it's very important. As a marketer, that's one of the, the first questions I ask whenever I, I interview one of our programmatic vendors. Hey, are you even GDPR compliant? Do you even know what's going on? I mean, we work with specific vendors to make sure that this doesn't happen. But I also right. like some of our contracts even like include wording as this, if something happens, you will stay accountable because it was up to you to make sure that your technology that we're buying through you is working or is, you know, legally compliant, GDPR compliant and what so forth. Mm -hmm. So um, I also remember working couple campaigns in Facebook and I remember it was like September 2017 or 18. I think it was about a year ago. When the first Cambridge Analytica happened, the first half of the year, the second half of the year, Facebook removed all partnership with some of, I guess, its party uh, partners. 
And right. I remember some, uh, like for, for some of the campaigns that we were using some of those partners and I think uh, Axiom and Epsilon was including in those yep. partners. I remember seeing a drop in conversions already. And so, so it took us a little while to kind of optimize that Facebook campaign. And what we ended up using Facebook as is, is as a first party partner, right? Like you mentioned earlier, we would upload only first party like CRM data from the client, which holds some consumers, PII, personal uh, information, identity. Mm-hmm. Personal information, identity. Personally identifiable information. <laughs> I was like, wait, yep. it doesn't sound it's right. A, <laughs> um, but yeah. It's a tricky one. Yeah, there you go. And so so it's, it's as a marketer, and I'm not in the platform as much as you anymore, but it, it's, it's almost scary that I include as a, as a media strategist, I keep including like first party data is a great strategy for, for your campaigns, for your marketing campaigns, because we're able to, one, re-engage with that cons- that consumer, re-engage with that brand ambassador of yours, but also build lookalike base on those. But now you're mm-hmm. not protecting that data. So now we have to go back having a conversation with, with that client, that awkward conversation that says, this is a great strategy in terms of conserv- you know, converting. However, on the overall brand side, there's a risk because some people might end up you know, tracing back to your brand. Am I seeing that correctly? Mm-hmm. Is that even possible, you think? Um, you know, I, I'm not as familiar with like how they could actually trace it back and all of yeah. that. But I'll, I'll just say a couple of things that, you know, I wanted to mention when you were talking is that you're absolutely correct that I remember setting up audiences based off of the Axum and yeah. Epsilon data. And those are um, all of their what I would call interest based options have completely changed. Um, they used to have a lot of purchase behavior data. Um, and now there's, as, as an advertiser, there's only one that I can really choose, which is you're an engaged shopper. Yeah. Um, so Facebook has really limited your options in terms of those interest-based options. But um, like you mentioned, I would strongly recommend to anyone who wants to do Facebook advertising that you're relying on that first party data and creating lookalike audiences from the Facebook pixel. But like you mentioned, there are a lot of brands who, you know, uh, are very hesitant or if they're a government entity, they refuse to give out any of that information. And so that is, you know, a difficult conversation that we do have to have with clients. And, you know, it's, it's something each, each one has to weigh individually as, as the pros and cons and whether or not, you know, as a business that they're going to use those audiences. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I think we should be also fair, even working with somebody like Axiom and Epsilon is still third party data, and they could also have their own breach. I mean, there's other, like every time, every day, we see some type of news with some company that had a data breach. So I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't only happen with Facebook, but I think Facebook has been in the fire for the last week couple years and we're still expecting they have implemented some type of solution like we're mentioning like the removal of third-party partners and then um, I know they're implementing even like you can exclude certain and correct me if I'm wrong but I know you cannot target or exclude targeting like based on race gender right for certain industry 
Well, particularly for like, if you're setting up job targeting ads, um, I just kind of learned this recently that the ad set, you know, has to be targeting 18 to 65 plus. Otherwise you are discriminating, you know, based on age, for instance. And I think, you know, if, if I remember correctly, like for housing, you can't, you know, discriminate upon race, that sort of yeah. thing. So I think it depends on what the industry is or what the client is. Okay, that makes that makes sense. And I think it's a good segue, especially if you mentioned the ad library earlier. Um, mm -hmm. our, our story too is also from Media Post. And just to recap the article, Facebook is rolling out or has rolled out by this time a transparency tool that will allow users to see detailed information about a political ad. So uh, for example, if the, they're, they're served with a political ad, it will clearly say, paid for by XYZ state committee or XYZ candidate. And the user okay. will have the ability, like you and I as consumers will have the ability to click on it and see the candidate's page and see additional information such as ad performance, spend, date, impression, demo, who's seen the ad. When that is technically, like that's really implemented transparency to the T, right? Facebook also, mm -hmm. um, Facebook ad library is, is definitely taking things to the next, next level, arming or equipping um, us as consumers to see, hey, why am I seeing this ad one? Who's paying for this ad? Who else have seen this ad? And how long yep. is the ad has, how long has that ad ran? And I did not know that the library had archives up to seven years. That's really cool. Because now I'm going to go back and see <laughs> how different the ads were. It's actually going to take this market to the next level. I think as a market, it's almost exciting to see because now I can see how, how much a competitor is spending or how much a competitor exactly. has spend and where, you know? Yep. As an advertiser, it's a little scary because, I mean, your competitors, you know, I feel like in the future, they're going to be able to see how much you're spending and like all of the strategies that you're implementing. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, do you think there's pros and cons to it? Because I get excited with everything new technology out there and then like everybody else, we get excited and then we find out, oh, wait a minute, let's really think about it. But in your expertise, do you think there's pros and cons? Oh, certainly. Yeah, I think as a consumer that this is a great step towards transparency, uh, particularly in the political space. But, you know, like I kind of mentioned, as an advertiser, I see this um, developing even more so. And right now within the ads library, you can actually see what for a competitor, you can see what ads they're currently running and then also ones that have been inactive. Mm -hmm. But my question is, you know, how how long is this uh, library going to, you know, continue on for? So like we know with these political oh. ads, they're going to be there for seven years, but just for anyone in e-commerce or whatever space that they're in, you know, that's a little scary. I don't want my yeah. competitors seeing all of my ads for the past seven years or whatnot. Do you think we'll, right. we'll see a little increase there on the cost side? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. think that that's true. And just um, I've been doing paid socials, particularly Facebook advertising for the past four years now. And yes. I've just noticed, somewhat of a steady incline in cost per clicks across all clients and particularly saw it with the election. It, campaign performance would be great. And then as soon as that can or the uh, election period came, it was the cost per clicks for every client skyrocketed. And I can only say that it's because of the, the political election. So I think it has a huge impact on cost per clicks. Do you recommend as an, you know, a Facebook expert, do you recommend including political ads on Facebook or p 
Facebook as a strategy for political candidates, knowing that some of the changes are in, in place now and knowing that <laughs> the competitor could be seeing those costs? You think it's still a good idea right. to go through Facebook? Absolutely think it's a great idea because what is everybody doing all day, you know, when they're waiting in line at Starbucks, they're sitting <laughs> on their phones, you know what I mean? Like it, this is where people consume the information and where <laughs> most political candidates, they want to hit the millennials 18 to 34 and the, and they're on their phones constantly or, you know, or their, their laptops. But yeah, I think that they have to be on that space in order, you know, to attract people and to get to remind them to go out and vote. I think that's a good segue into our third story and last story before we move to the next segment. Um, I came across this article. Actually, you reminded me about this article where um, Social Media Today covered online shopping versus in-store shopping, how America shops in the digital age. It's actually a, a small article with like infographics. It's really cool. Again, I'll, I'll add this article into our show notes for any listeners out there that actually wants to use that. Uh, but tell me, I know you reviewed the article. I'm just going to let you take it, take over. Like, what do you think about that? I love the the piece where they were comparing different shopping trends between baby boomers, Generation X and millennials. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to kind of start from the top and, yeah, and kind of go it. over some of the insights that I, I thought were interesting. And the first one in this infographic is that most people, or I shouldn't say most people, 85% purchase their groceries in store. And as a millennial, this what? is kind of shocking. This is kind of shocking to me because really? <laughs> I, I use online grocery service and I have used it for the past three years. I very, very rarely, it has to be an emergency. Do I actually go into a grocery store coming home from work or on the weekend? I pre pre-order all of my groceries. So Wow. I was a little surprised that um, that this the number for online wasn't more than it is. I mean, do you order your groceries online or do you go in a store? So I'm 50-50% here. I absolutely <laughs> love the conveniency of just, I'm willing to pay the extra $7 or $6 on Instacart for for them to deliver my, my shopping, my groceries, especially. Mm-hmm. My husband on the other side, he is uh, the yang to my yin. He, he's totally opposite pole <laughs> here. He, he always tells me, why do you have random people walking to, to our doors? Like, that's not safe. But <laughs> I'm just like, actually, it's convenient, honey. We're going to be okay. <laughs> and so 50% of times I do order through Instacart because, hey, it's, it's convenient. I want to live life. I want to go work out instead of spending 40 minutes or 30 minutes doing a weekly groceries. I'm not going to lie, but I do in in stores where, Oh, I forgot to order something. Or sometimes we only buy groceries based on the meal of the week or the meal of the next couple of days. And then we'll meal prep. So, so yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I was same as you, even though I order and go in store 50% of the time, I was still expecting it to be a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. And let me just give a shout out real quick. I get a lot of ads from Lidl on Facebook and why I have not done it yet. I am very tempted to start ordering from Lidl. I think for anyone who's out in like the grocery space, you're not offering online services for your store. You definitely should be because you are behind the curve and you're losing people like me who buy their groceries online now. Mm-hmm. So just one thing I wanted to point out there. 
I think it's really cool that you mentioned that because Amazon created this whole <laughs> not moving from your house, just having the convenience, yeah. having it delivered within a certain amount of time. And so, so yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. If a brand is not offering any type of fast shipping nowadays, especially with the holidays coming, I think we strongly recommend as advertisers, people working in the ad tech and martech world that that brand consider offering or making that small investment into making things convenient because we're lazy as consumers. I'm extra lazy. You got to make it <laughs> extra easy for me. Otherwise I'm not going to do it. I'm going to prime it really quick. So what else can you tell us? about Exactly. This? Yeah. So that what you just said actually brings up a great point. You know, as you mentioned, going into Q4, it is critical in ad copy, particularly for Facebook that as an advertiser, you're mentioning any product benefits, like, you know, that there's free returns, free shipping, um, any sort of special discounts that they can get, you know, in purchasing through Facebook, anything to get those people to click and eventually convert, you know, is really critical. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because I mean, we're looking, I'm looking at probably the fourth chart down here as mm -hmm. what is the number one reason that you have a Prime membership and it's for the free two-day shipping. So if you can offer that as an advertiser, I think that's extremely critical. Well, it's in talking about, you know, top online shoppers here, there's a part of the article where they, they compare baby boomers, generation X and millennials and as top online stores. First one is Amazon. The second one is Walmart, mm -hmm. surprisingly Walmart. Yep. And the third one is eBay. And then after that, it goes into Target. So the top four stores across generation are Amazon, Walmart, eBay, Target. And then yep. after that, you see the difference, like baby boomers, Kohl's, Generation X, Costco, <laughs> and millennial Best Buy. And listen, I have family members in each of these <laughs> amazing generations and I definitely can see them going to Kohl's, Costco, and myself to Best Buy. Definitely. So this is this right. is getting us to the T. It's telling us about our life. I don't know. I don't know if I was ready for it. Oh, I, I completely identify with this. And let me tell you, I'll be honest. My <laughs> my grocery service that I use is Walmart, and the reason for <laughs> that is is that it's free as long as you spend over thirty dollars on your groceries, no which way. I always do. And yeah. most people do. It's free. They, you have the app so they can see when you arrive. And within two minutes, they're bringing it out to my car and I'm on my way. And what? I'm not having to spend, you know, 40 minutes looking through the store, waiting in lines to check out and whatnot. So I think Walmart's incredibly smart for um, being one of the first to kind of pioneer that online shopping um, option. That's really cool. And this, let's, let's talk about the reason why, reasons for shopping. And mm -hmm. again, based on the article here, I'm pulling from the article at the bottom, it shows us like the reason for shopping. And then you just said, we both just as convenience and save time and exactly. comparison. And then the reason why people are still going in stores because they, to see and touch items before purchase. Yep. <laughs> and then, so I can yep. have it, have the product immediately. Like I said, I can relate uh, why sometimes I will go in stores and pick up it directly. And the third one, why most Americans will go in stores for some shopping uh, is to avoid the shipping costs. So again, uh, we mentioned shipping costs, we mentioned conveniency, and I know it's only July, <laughs> but the reality of things and Walmart is the best person. Walmart and dollar stores or Gen Dollar General are the best to remind us about which next big season is coming. <laughs> like right after Absolutely. Christmas. 
right after Christmas, they pull out the Valentine's Day, <laughs> the Valentine's Day product. Okay. <laughs> so, so there's a reason why they start promoting advertising times in advance is because of that. You know, they want to make sure that they're getting ready for that, that season that is getting more expensive. So. Absolutely. And that actually uh, brings up a great point in that we've talked a lot about uh, like Facebook and Instagram, but for Pinterest, um, it's typically recommended that you start uh, advertising for, if it's a particular holiday, do it three months in advance because that's how uh, far in advance pinners are pinning um, pins. There's a lot of pins in that sentence. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's recommended, like if you're going to do Christmas, you need to start that in October. So that's, um, you know, as you're starting to get into that, I know we just started Q3 today, but you should already be thinking about as an advertiser strategy going into holiday. Yeah, that's a great point. Three months is the sweet spot to start promoting at least three months in advance, especially, and we're only, and we're referring to the big events such as like the Christmas holidays and actually the Thanksgiving holidays. I know that um, Prime Day is coming up as well. And mm-hmm. um, I, I know that last year, I think it was Cyber Monday surpassed the purchase of in-store visit. Don't quote me on that. I'm going to continue the research here. But I believe I was listening to a podcast saying that Cyber Monday is either coming super close to the in-store um, sales of um, Black Friday or just surpassed it. So we're getting there. People are less likely to go fight over overnight yeah. versus just controlling it online so yeah I mean you, you can't convince me to you know get out of my pajamas and go stand in <laughs> line in the cold with a bunch of people trying to fight me in the door you know <laughs> I, I, I again I think it's you know the convenience and the price comparisons like we're seeing you know the top reasons that people shop online you know yeah super important and I think it's also shifting to like millennials are less likely to shop on Black Friday I know um, and also to shop on Thanksgiving Day because some family members are in stores. And because of us supporting certain stores opening on Thursday night, I, I remember seeing a few articles where millennials are less likely to support shopping on Thanksgiving and or on mm-hmm. Black Friday because of that reason. But they are coming out yep. on Saturday, which is Small Business Saturdays. So good job, y'all. I'm proud of us. I'm very proud of us. <laughs> I absolutely support that. I feel like all all businesses really should be closed on Thanksgiving so you can spend time with your family and loved ones. But um, yeah. I, I think, don't quote me on this, I think it's REI. They 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 are closed on, on Thanksgiving and, and support like all of their employees taking off. So, um, and, you know, if you're if you're a small business and you, and you have that, you know, I would absolutely promote that in your paid social ads or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing in digital marketing. Mm-hmm. And every year when, when an advertiser, and I remember last year for advertisers, any retailers out there that we, we were running at the agency at that time, those were messages that I would always ask like, Hey, if you're a small business, have a separate message for that. If you have certain benefits during the holidays where you value family over business or you value family over profit, that's what resonates with us. People don't know, don't support what you do anymore. They support why you do it. And there we're more conscious mm-hmm. about things. Brands have to be conscious, like social injustice, social yep. justice. They have to be conscious about certain things. That's why in our next segment, we'll, we'll cover a couple of things about diversity, but that's why things are shifting. There's a reason why more and more 
local businesses or including like, hey, I'm a local business, but I also support that. I know in Raleigh, we do a great job buying from local farmers. I mean, certain restaurants that I support buy from local farm farms in the area so that's that's i mean that's why i go there and, and buy that extra burger for 10 bucks versus seven dollars because yeah. i want to make sure that 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 profit is staying in local you know and so absolutely great and, and i think it's so important to to call out like when you mentioned social consciousness mm-hmm. um if you're an advertiser i'm just thinking of you know brands like tom are our toms the prettiest or cutest shoes in the world Maybe not, but I mean, I absolutely love and support their cause. You know, you buy one and you give one away. And so I purchased a pair of Toms because that's something easy that I understand and I can get behind. Or with Bombas, the same thing, you know, you buy a pair of socks and they and they donate a pair of socks. So anything like that, you know, any small contributions, large or big, you know, I would definitely call that out um, in your advertising as well. And I think it's a great segue into our third segment where we like to shine our diversity light on either an agency, a brand, a creative, or anything related that has done diversity right or wrong. So do you have a brand, a creative, an agency in mind that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to call out Wrangler and their collection that they just launched with Lil Nas X. Wranglers definitely trying to branch out from their traditional cowboy Western roots and kind of stepping into that modern space, you know, where they're supporting a rapper, which isn't necessarily, you know, something that the the brand image has matched in, in years. I think it's a great step forward. And actually, he came out that came he out. was gay. Yeah. And yeah, it came out that he was gay. And Wrangler supports that collection. And and there have been some rumors or, you know, there's always fake news. Wrangler's dropped the collection. That's completely untrue. Wrangler still, I mean, they have sold out this collection. They are fully supporting it. And people around the world are loving it. Regardless of whether you you like or dislike Old Town Road, I still think that's it's uh, it's wonderful what Wrangler's done. <laughs> Thanks for sharing because that I I did see that Lil Nas X came out. It was a post on Instagram from Blevity, and it was really even even the the article there really called him, you know, praise him for coming out and ending the month because June was Pride Month. Pride Month. So he ended mm-hmm. he ended the month very nicely in. And diversity sells. Diversity is great. Inclusion is great. So brands out there, agency, it's really important to keep it, you know, to keep it flexible in our thoughts and the way we strategize and the way we hire people. I think it's really important and it's a great example. Thank you for bringing it up. Absolutely. So in closing, this is our last segment. Before we part ways, unfortunately, tell us three fun (laughs) facts about yourself in less than 30 seconds. Ooh, three fun facts in 30 seconds. All right. Um, I was a ballroom dancer at MC State. Um, a, a what? I have a what? A, <laughs> a ballroom what? dancer. Oh, ballroom dancer. <laughs> I heard bar. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. I have to cut that one out. <laughs> That's pretty funny. No, um, no judgment. Yeah, so I, yeah. So like when you think of like dancing with the stars or, you know, that sort of thing, that's what I used to do. Um, that's awesome. Let's, yeah. Um, let's see. I have two caps. Lexi and Leo, and Leo is a Bengal cat, um, so he's actually a descendant from a leopard, so he's a very exotic-looking cat. I love nice. my cat. 
Um, and then third, yeah, third fun fact is that I'm actually getting married uh, in December. So looking forward to uh, becoming Mrs. Privet <laughs> in a couple of months. All right. So we'll make sure to update that uh, in a couple months. Congratulations. We're exciting for you. Thank you. Cannot wait to go YouTube some ballroom dancing. Maybe you're out there. Um, and lastly, yeah, we'll, we'll just share the professional stuff. There you go. <laughs> there you go. We'll keep that one out. Um, and lastly, do you have any parting advice for any freshman ninjas out there getting into the industry? Quick to do's and don'ts. Maybe a tip that you learned the hard way along the way. Yeah. Um, so I, I think about, um, when I meet, you know, interns or people who are just graduating from college and they really want to get into digital marketing or specifically in paid social advertising, I always recommend that they go through the Facebook blueprint courses or through Google Analytics because that is so important now. Uh, I'd say 95% of the clients that I work with use Google Analytics. So it is really important to understand um, that software and, and how to use it on a day-to-day basis. So um, yeah, my, my advice would be to learn, you know, to, to network, go to conferences where you can learn about these things that are happening and keep up to date with all the trends and what's going on in the industry. But, you know, actually, don't be afraid to, to go and complete these courses because it's certainly going to help you stand out when you're applying for jobs or trying to get an internship or whatnot. I absolutely agree with certification. This is an educational podcast, and that's one of the reasons why I started the podcast because I absolutely love to learn from others specifically and from practice. And so that's a great point. It's a great feedback. I'll make sure to link each of the certification in the show notes. I know that Google Analytics is a free certification and you can take it as many times mm-hmm. as you want, only once a day, <laughs> but at least you can take it as <laughs> time as you want. And, and it does offer, before you take the certification, it offers like great articles, modules, like training on, on the certification yes. before you pass it. Are you still paying for Blueprint or... To go, so to go through the courses, that's certainly free. But if you want to become a certified um, expert, then it, there is a, quite a hefty price associated with it. Okay. Okay. So you're recommending at yeah. least going through the certification and, and outlining it that you, we've been through the certification, just not have passed the certification, just we've been through the training. I, I would just recommend, you know, that if you're in an interview or on your resume, you list that you completed the course. Um, you don't necessarily have to list that you got that uh, specific certified, whatever their exact title is that they have on Facebook. But it, it, I think it's around $250. So I do think it's, it's worth the investment and in you getting a job because it will certainly help you stand out above the crowd. But um, I'd find probably nine out of 10 employers would certainly help pay for it because one, it's going to be um, beneficial for you and your career, but two, they're going to be able to, to tout that, hey, we've got these certified individuals in-house, so they're going to be able to, to deliver, you know, even better results. So, um, yeah, I think it's certainly worth, worth the cost. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for joining us today. This was so informative. We hope to see you and hear from you very soon. Absolutely. I enjoyed talking about everything and uh, hopefully you'll have me back on a future episode. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Again, you'll find everything we've discussed today, including our expert ninjas information, show notes, and all referred articles on our website, programmaticdigest.com. Please take a few minutes to leave us a review wherever you're streaming this podcast and share with anyone you know can benefit from it. In conclusion, fam, 
we're all humans working in a fast advancing industry. So as a gentle reminder, we're not saving lives, y'all. At the end of the day, our mission on this podcast is to share knowledge, highlight diversity, and educate ourselves as we build this community of programmatic ninjas, or family, as we would say in my African culture. Stay blessed.